Well, if you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We are continuing this morning with our series series on assurance. Last week we looked at the assurance of salvation. Today we're looking at the assurance of forgiveness. Lord willing, in the next few weeks we'll look at... um, Victory over sin, answered prayer, guidance, and I I might have one more cooking in my soul. So um, this morning, though, we we look at the um, assurance of forgiveness and and what better place to look than to the cross of Calvary. So let's look at John 19, starting at uh, verse 16b. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. For the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that it is finished, that our sins have been paid for in full. We thank you that this story isn't over. For our Savior would rise on the third day, showing to all the world the sacrifice had been accepted and that your people were forgiven. Help us this morning, Lord, as we look at your word. Grant us your spirit and give us anointing. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Are you haunted by your past? Do you have sins in your past that wake you up at night? Have you done things that perhaps you would be petrified for others to learn about? Do you wonder if God has really forgiven you for things done in the past years or the past decades? Those in Christ Jesus have the assurance that their sins are forgiven. It belongs to us. It is a gift of God. 
each and every one of our sins. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover any sin and efficient to have covered the sins of His people, those who have turned to Him in salvation. We are not defined by our past, either what we have done or what's been done to us. You are not your past. Your life is defined by the past, but it is not your past. It is not my past. We have to go further back. We look to what has happened in the past at Calvary, at the cross, where our Savior, after serving a a life of perfect obedience in our place, became the perfect sacrifice for our sins, at the end of which, what did He say? It is finished. Our sins have been paid for in full by our Savior, the incarnate God, Jesus, period. If you struggle with forgiveness, if you struggle with the assurance of forgiveness, if you know and love Jesus, have come to Him in conversion, and if you struggle with really believing that God has forgiven you of your past, you're not alone. It's a very common struggle. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, we can have assurance of the benefits that we have of what He has accomplished for us on the cross, and first and foremost, paramount. The very center of the gospel message is that we believe in the forgiveness of sins and that your sins have been paid for. As we think about those who struggle with the idea of being assured of their forgiveness, we can think of several different categories, really two and a half. The half isn't on your uh, bulletin. The, The first part, the half, are those who are under conviction now who don't know the Lord. The Lord is beginning to work in their hearts to show them their sins. They're beginning to hear the law's loud thunder and starting to get squeamish because they see the problem of their sins but have yet to find the solution in Christ. That, That is a gift of the Lord, by the way. And if the Lord is working on your heart this morning, if you are beginning to see the heinousness of your sin, do not run from Him, but instead run to Him this day, the day where He may be found knowing that He stands ready to forgive you today of all your transgressions. The other categories we would say are are believers who struggle with the idea of assurance of forgiveness in two ways. One, generally speaking, of I see my great record of sin in the past and I wonder how in the world could so much be forgiven by God. That's one category. The other category, and I think the one that is more prevalent is thinking of specific sins from your past that Satan keeps bringing up before you. Perhaps the sins that are less um, accepted in society these days. Something that we see as more shameful or heinous. And you wonder, have I really been forgiven of that? The answer, if you're a believer, is yes. But it's still a struggle at times, isn't it? We all have a past. We all have a past. Period. The gospel actually lets us admit that we have a past. Because Christ has taken care of it. For many it can feel like baggage that constantly wears you down. There may be times where you successfully leave it at the cross of Christ. It's paid for already, but leave it at the cross and you, and you walk away from that false shame, that false guilt. 
and then only to run back and pick it back up. To wake up in the morning remembering it again. You need to know two things. One, you're not alone. Satan would have you think that you're alone, but you're not. Many people struggle with thinking back on past sins and wondering, have I really been forgiven for that? Did Christ really take my guilt? Did He really take my shame? The second is, if you are in Christ, you are not your past. You are not your past. You are not your past. These are two important things because living day to day and year to year with false shame and with, with, with false guilt can have a very serious impact on our lives in many ways. We can live not in the present, but live always in the past. One person said, you know, um, the, the past is the past, but sometimes it feels like the past hasn't passed. Isn't that true sometimes? But here's the thing. Christ came to set us free from our past. Galatians 5.1 For freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. He has come to deliver you from the bondage to your past. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery of your past. John 8.36 So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It was not a rescue plan that might succeed with high risks. It was a sure rescue plan in which he received or he achieved the redemption of our souls and the payment for every one of our sins. Period. Full stop. This means that the frantic activity in our lives to try to make up for the past sins that we've committed, that can stop because he's paid for them. It means that the depression and anxiety and fear that arise from trying to deny our past, that can stop. Because he's paid for the past. That means that the cycle of shame that continues to, 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 to plague us in the mornings when we wake up, that can stop because he's paid for them. That means the substances and images and the people we turn to in order to cope falsely with this shame and false guilt, it can stop because he's paid for them. What has he done to your sins? What has he done with your sins? You know, there is an objective reality that Christ has paid for our sins, period. There's nothing left. It's all been paid for. But there's a subjective experience of, what, of, of our experience day to day. And a lot of times those things don't always add up, don't always match up. They are ours in Christ, but, but we, we may believe even, ultimately, that our sins have been forgiven. They have if we're in Christ. But daily we struggle to experience that freedom that is ours in Christ. It's much like if you were fabulously wealthy. I mean wealthy, 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 filthy, wealthy, wealthy. And yet, you wondered where your next meal would come from. You have these great riches, but you live in fear. Will I have something to eat at lunch? Meanwhile, you have a, 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 um, a, a Cordon Bleu Institute trained five-star chef in your, in your kitchen with a larder full of the richest and most expensive food. And there you are sitting at your table wondering, will I have anything to eat today? The objective reality is you have plenty. 
The subjective reality is you're living in poverty. We have the richness of having been forgiven of all of our sins. And yet, in our day-to-day experience, sometimes we live in poverty of wondering if God really loves us. Did he really know that one? Has it been enough? Do I need to do more? What if someone finds out? Y'all, we are rich in God's grace and his forgiveness. So what do we do? What do we do? It's common. Everybody experiences it. Robert Murray McChain said, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. I love that. The rich man would go and look in his larder and his pantry and say, Oh yeah, I have a lot of food here. And so we go and look at Jesus and remember, Oh yeah, he really has taken care of that one too. He promises to forgive us. This is the greatest message of of salvation that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. He really does forgive. This is the good news of Jesus. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This includes all of them. And our conversion, our past, present, and future sins, they have been forgiven. There's nothing left. But I love that verse because it speaks to shame too. Because so often our sin, when we meditate on it, rather than the riches that we have in Christ, we feel shame, we feel dirty. False shame, by the way. But He has cleansed us. Rather than feeling dirty or unworthy, He has cleansed us. I love that great hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. The third verse, dark is the stain we cannot hide. What can we do to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, brighter than snow you may be today. He cleanses us. This is what we have to offer the world, isn't it? There is salvation. There is forgiveness, even for vile wretches like me. How does he do this? Well, the great exchange has been often called 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The record of our guilt is real. It's not imagined. In fact, it's worse than we could ever imagine. We see this as much of our sin. It's just like an iceberg. We see that much, but there's so much more than we could ever imagine. As it's often been said, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. Because we're reminded of how much God loves us and how unfathomable His love is for us. Upon the cross, our Savior took our sin. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we might receive that which was required to be in right relationship with the Father, and that is perfect righteousness. And that has been given to us in salvation. There's not a spot or blemish left. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else is needed. Have you ever thought when you're plagued with those uh, thoughts of, of man, that, that from my past was just awful. I can't believe I did that. What's, sometimes our inclination is to go and do something good, to either calm our consciences or to try to make up for something in the past. My friends, if we're in Christ Jesus, there's nothing else to be done. Why? John 19.30. We read it earlier. It is finished. It's not partially done. It's not 99% done. 
It's not temporarily done. It's finished. It's been taken care of at the cross. And because of that, this great news we find in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation left. Sometimes we would just feel better if we could be punished for it, right? Our flesh wants to be punished for something we've done wrong because we feel like we can pay for it then. But the reality is that there's nothing left to be paid for because Christ has taken all of it upon Himself. There was condemnation. There was punishment. But we could never bear it. And whatever sins you're ashamed of, whatever sins Satan throws your way, my friends, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. There's nothing left. The great cistern, the great cup, the great tank, the great hopper of God's wrath towards His people, it has been drained to its fullest. As Christ would take the the, the cup of condemnation, that we might drink the cup of salvation and blessing. That's what happens here at the, at the table. That's what He did on the cross. Now that we have been forgiven, God no longer deals with us according to our sins, nor does He repay us according to our transgressions, Psalm 103.10 tells us. You know, it's so hard to deal with other people not based on their sin. That's how we operate, right? Someone wrongs me, I now treat them in regards of that wronging. I may try not to. But you know how this works in relationships. But God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our transgressions, because He's already done that with our Savior, His Son, Jesus You know, we, we don't have to fear Christ bringing up our sins from the past. Sometimes we were reminded of our sins because of consequences we may face. There's still reaping and sowing going on. If we've reaped something bad, we're, we may end up sowing it the rest of our lives in terms of consequences in our families or, or in our lives or, or physically or something else. But when it comes to moral guilt, God will never bring up your sins again, period. Why? Psalm 103, 13, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Hebrews 10, 17, quoting Jeremiah, we read, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. He doesn't bring them back up. He's dealt with them. Why? Because he loves you and me, just as we sang earlier. Because this lavish love Why does He forgive us? It wasn't because we deserved His love or earned His forgiveness. He did it because of the love with which He loved us. That's how loved we are. You know, it's when we realize just how much we're loved by our God that we are most secure in the assurance of forgiveness. A small view of God's love will render a small view of our forgiveness. So what are some practical steps? What are some practical steps when these things come to mind again? Because they will. As one fellow minister said, we have to stop trying to earn God's forgiveness and simply accept the gift we have already been given. It is ours. I'd like to submit that one of the, one of the most powerful things that you can do is to talk about your past. Now that's scary. Let's not pretend like that's not scary. 
But one of, the, one of the greatest tools of Satan is to convince you that you're alone in your sin, that no one's ever done what you've done, that no one will understand, and you have to keep silent about it. You know, when Martin Luther led, uh, by the way, this month is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. 1517, October, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the castle's church door in Wittenberg, Germany. But you know, when, when Luther was seeking to bring Reformation to the church, he didn't want to do away with confessing sins to others. He didn't believe you had to confess your sins to a priest to be forgiven as the medieval Catholic church thought you did. That's not what He didn't believe that. But he knew the therapeutic and cathartic value of confessing your sins to other brothers and sisters in Christ. He's following James chapter 5 uh, verse 16 here. There, We're actually told to do this. When we confess our sins one to another, we are putting into action our faith in the gospel that we are no longer defined by our past, that Christ has set us free, and we have freedom from it. We're no longer in bondage. And one of the greatest ways that we can experience that freedom is by opening, opening up about our past. That means if you have a fantastic friend that you can entrust implicitly, say, hey, you know, these things are forgiven, but I, just, I really would like to just open up and talk about some things. Would you mind listening? If you don't have a friend like that, come see your pastor. If you're visiting with us, go to your pastor. If you're not, come to me. You know, I'm legally uh, held from talking about those things and ethically. You know, that, that exists, right? There are some things that I have to speak about when it comes to harming yourself and others, uh, child abuse. There are a few things that I, I do have to talk about. But when it comes to past, um, I, I get to keep those things silent. Um, let me do that for you. But if not me, find a counselor. If it's of that depth, you feel like you need to talk to a counselor, I can personally endorse Tommy Smith here in town. Just go talk to him. And you will find that there's great freedom that comes when you open up about what's in your past. Either what you've done or what's been done to you. We need to spend time with Jesus. Just like Robert Murray McChain said that for every one look at yourself, give ten looks at Jesus. How do we do that? I've been deeply formed by a fellow pastor, a lifelong pastor of mine on this topic. And he has a phrase he likes. He says, just snuggle up with Jesus. We want to be careful with that. We don't want to be irreverent. But you get the picture there, right? Of get to know Jesus better, spend time with Him, and be reminded of His love for you and what He's done for you. But one thing that's very practical is what I like to call a battle verse. Find one of these verses we've mentioned in our text this morning and memorize it. This is why I know Romans 8.1 so well. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's my battle verse. So when those thoughts come back up, take that, Satan. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our salvation has been achieved in the past. It is real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something we just read in a book about. It happened. If you were there 2,000 years ago outside the gates of Jerusalem, you would have been present for the moment at which your sins were paid for. And this is what this table is about. This is how we know that our sins are forgiven. We've been given this visible reminder of the gospel that He would take our sin upon Himself. He would take that punishment upon Himself that we might receive His righteousness, that we might receive forgiveness and salvation. His, His body was broken for us. He bled all over the place. 
those steps in which he carried his cross, at least the halfway he carried his own, and it was full of the blood of our Savior. It stained the stones. The cobblestones were stained with the blood of our Savior. There was a pool of blood at the foot of the cross. And that is the cleansing tide that cleanses us of our salvation. And for believers in Christ who struggle with the specific sins in the past, wondering, was that safe? Was, has that been forgiven? This is a visible reminder. Come to this table this morning. Run to it. And be reminded of God's love and forgiveness of you. He loved you so much, He would send His Son to die for you. So if you're a believer in Christ and member of good standing at an evangelical church that preaches that Christ is the only way of salvation, this table is for you. It's not just a First Presbyterian table of our denomination or this congregation. It's the Lord's table. Come, be reminded. Be grown in God's grace. May your faith be nourished. If you're a believer, however, and you are in unrepentant sin, if you're running from God and you know it, don't come this morning. This table isn't for you this morning. Instead, take this time to to confess your sins. If you're at odds with someone else, even in this own room, how beautiful would it be if you got up and went and confessed your sins to them right now? Take this time to do business with God. There's a third category here. If if you uh, don't know the Lord, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I'm so thankful that you're here. Delighted for your presence. But this table isn't for you yet. This table is for only for those who have received the forgiveness of sins. I hope the day where you can partake of it is soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace that you have lavished upon us. And that we can have the assurance of your forgiveness. That it has happened and it's true and nothing can change it. Because our Savior has stood in our place and he has bled that we might be saved. Lord, I pray that even now as we come to sing our song of preparation, that you would prepare our hearts to come to the table. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.